Hi, it's Jenny Nash, founder and CEO of Author Accelerator. I'd like to share with you a mini magazine we made called How I Built My Book Coaching Business. It's a story of Suzette Mullen, who went from being a lost lawyer and an empty nest mom to a writer with a book deal and a book coach with a thriving business. It's an inside look at how you can totally change your life with story. Just head over to bookcoaches.com backslash how I built. That's bookcoaches.com backslash how dash I dash built. You'll also see there an invitation to a free event with me and Suzette, where we're going to talk about her journey. I'd love for you to join us. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone. Try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Welcome to the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. This is the podcast where we write all the things. Short things, long things, research things, fiction things, all the things. Most of all, it's the place where we sit down and talk about keeping our butts in the chair and our head in the game and getting the words on the paper. Um, This is Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and The Addiction Inoculation and have been a journalist for a while and I'm just starting a new journalism gig that I'll be talking about in the near future, maybe even in this episode, we'll see. And uh, and I'm just so excited to be here today, except for the fact that we're all um, going to sound, well, at least two of us are going to sound pretty weird today because we're podcasting while sick. KJ, why don't you join in with your intro and let us hear your dulcet tones. (laughs) I am KJ Delantonia. I am the author of three novels, the latest being playing the witch card. The others are The Chicken Sisters and In Her Boots, as well as a nonfiction book, How to Be a Happier Parent, and an earlier nonfiction book, Reading with Babies, Toddlers, and Twos. I always leave that one out. I'm the former editor and lead writer at the Motherload for the New York Times, and I did not expect to be here today because I am I am under the weather, but at the last minute decided I could sail in. And she starts her new opera singing career at the end of this week. <laughs> yes, it's going to be fabulous. And next up. Hi, I'm Jenny Nash, and I'm trying really hard not to laugh at my friends <laughs> who are not feeling well. This is just an advertisement to move to California, y'all, in the winter. <laughs> No, we get sick here too. Um, I am the founder and CEO of Author Accelerator and the author of 12 books in three genres. And I just happen not to be sick at this moment, but I surely will be in the future. <laughs> Excellent. So we're knock on wood now. Well, and this brings us to our topic for today, which is under the weather productivity. Um, and we can mean that in lots of different ways. Productivity when it's just a little more difficult to be productive. And um, that has certainly been the case for me. KJ has been down with respiratory stuff for even longer than I have. And we were texting yesterday and the day before and probably for a week before that about just feeling bad about being sick and not being able to get stuff done that we wanted to get done. And so we decided to just talk about that today because it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I spent all of November like this. I oh, I meant to bring up my uh, notebook so I could look at how many stickers I got in November. I know it was I had hoped to finish an entire new draft of something that I'm working on in November, and I got hit with 
something that turned into a sinus infection and just kept getting, I just, I must, it was a solid month yeah. of just getting worse and worse and worse. And I poked at the damn thing, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I just couldn't get anywhere with it. And then I was really hoping to start off January with a bang. I love January. You know, I know, love the fresh start energy, love all that good stuff. And yeah, no, that was not what the universe had in store for me. I, I'm just sick. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not like sick with a capital S. I've been sick with a capital S. It was a totally different ball game. I'm just sick. But I have 102 fever. You yeah. know, you can't. And that's not a joke in an adult. I it, I was, you know, I, and the last time in November, I did too much. So I yeah. tried to learn my lesson this time. Yeah. And we want to make sure deep, deep uh, respect for people who are battling chronic and really serious uh, things. That's not what we're talking about here. And um, what we're talking about here is just but you know, I have what I like to call foggy head. You know, I've got I've got an upper respiratory infection and my brain is not working at normal capacity. And for me, what that means is not necessarily I'm okay, you know, I'm not on any massive deadlines for drafts or anything like that. But what I did agree to, and I'm still not naming names because I haven't published my first piece with these this organization yet. I just agreed <laughs> to a new relationship with a national news organization to write for them. And so it took me a long time to decide about it. And I said, let me tell you what, you know, it's the holidays. How about I promise you the first piece in the new year? And the first piece is a really, for those of you out there who haven't had this opportunity, it's really cool. The first piece, especially if you've done your homework, which is something I talked about in my last podcast episode that I did about making um, uh, the title of that one was what I think about when I think about a job offer, which is all the different things you have to think about. And I am really excited to work with this editor. And I was really excited to like share what I can do. We've never worked together before. And no pressure, no pressure. And I, I've, I just don't do, I've never, touching wood right now, been late for a deadline. I'm, you know, I tend to be a clean writer. You know, I'm excited to show her. I have to interrupt you, Jess. What? You've never been late for a deadline? Never. Never. I've, I've always been either down to the last second or early for deadlines. I have never, ever missed a deadline. And I'm like touching a lot of wood right now. A lot of wood, my whole table right now, grasping it and holding on for dear life. Never. I'm been sorry to interrupt. Long. That was just an amazing statistic. I I used to be able to say that, I, yeah. and then you know the things they happened as they mostly do. Well, and early on, KJ taught me something really important, which and and I you know I sort of was catching on to it intuitively, which is that th- everything takes longer than you think it's going to take, and so. One of the things, the one of the best things that ever happened to me was having my first child when I was trying to f- scramble to finish law school at the same time. And the only time I had to really work was when in the X number of hours that I had my mom or someone rescuing me. And it was like, okay, you have from one to four to get things done. And procrastination became something I wasn't really allowed to do anymore. So I, that really did cure me for the most part on uh, procrastination. So yeah, I, you know, anyway. But that, it also involves a lot of luck in the area. Oh yeah. Of, I have know, support. Not getting yeah. rear-ended. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, no, no, not even that. Yeah. Just, just, just your basic luck, you know, not, not getting rear-ended, not having a kid break their leg. Yeah. I mean, things, 
things happen. Oh, look. So it's look, a great thing to be able to say. I'm the human being who handed in my first the, the first draft of my first book, which was, quote unquote, and I'm quoting my editor, unpublishable. So it's not like, you know, meeting every single deadline has been a soaring triumph for me. It just means that I meet my deadlines. Yeah. Um, I, may, yeah. I met a deadline for KJ once and she's like, are you kidding me here? This thing is three times as long as it needs to be. So, you know, those are all important learning moments too, but it also just means, you know, that not meeting deadlines just means that you're on time. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're excellent, but I'm excited to really bring it for this new editor. And so we're now nine days into the new year and I have nothing to show for it except for a big long list of ideas and a bunch of research that I've done searching for just the right thing to be my first article, which is frustrating. Um, My husband says he can always tell when I'm truly sick instead of just sort of whining about my tummy being upset or something when I'm not going in six directions and working on six projects and running around the house, you know, cleaning the baseboards. And so this has been, for me anyway, you know, unable to do stuff, which is highly frustrating. And, you know, it's been important to have, I think uh, for KJ too, it's been important for us to have this text thread because it's nice to have someone to whine to. Yeah, it's because we all know, number one, we're not going to judge. And number two, I know KJ, well, I know what KJ can do. So I'm able to sort of reflect back to her that this is not you at your best self, sweetie. This is going to take some patience. So anyway, anyway, we all had goals. When do you push through, you know, take take medicine, show up to for yourself or someone else when you when you're under the weather. And again, we're not talking about a chronic illness. Or right, a right, severe, right. A severe condition, but yeah. with the cold or you're under the weather, you don't feel well. When when do you how how do you make the decision about when to push through versus I'm getting in bed and pulling the covers over my head? I'm so glad well, you asked that. I would like to tell question. a super embarrassing story about how you probably should just not push through. <laughs> the better the better response is to look ahead, see this coming, um, you know, see that it, and and email and say, I'm going to need, you know, and give the people notice. Sometimes you can't, like sometimes you have to push through. But um, when I was very first getting started in freelancing, I had thought I might do recipes and food writing. This is really embarrassing. And I, I got, I persuaded our local paper to hire me to write some recipes and, or just write an article. And I was writing an article about the trendy new ingredient miso, which will, you know, just date this right, right there. And um, one of the things that I wanted to write about was that miso cod that everyone was, was making. So I was trying to include a recipe that was functional at home for that. And, and, and then as I'm writing this, and this, to me, this is a big deal. It's our local paper, but I'm really excited. I had a miscarriage just lay that right out there. It was really disappointing. It was really awful. I was really sick. Actually, was it even, it wasn't even that one. I had the, I had the stillbirth kids, the really, really bad one that yeah. somebody is in prison for yeah. right now in Ohio, because it was that far along and, and the circumstances were very similar and they're very unpleasant. Um, it was a disaster. Obviously, I was a mess. That's a magic, tra- major them, traumatic event. Yeah. Do I tell them that I cannot meet that deadline? No, <laughs> I decide to write it anyway. And I managed to do that. I just barely remember anything. The, the important thing is that I leave the miso out of the recipe. So 
That's the last thing I write for that paper, which ultimately it. is a good thing because, you know, I, I went on to, to figure in better. But um, it was just, I mean, that was an Annus Horribilis yeah. already, if that's how you pronounce that. But I really made things worse. So um, sometimes it is better not to power through. <laughs> I, have the, I have the answer to the opposite side of that, which is... You know, I've had the opportunity to do some pretty amazing um, speaking gigs, and I'm so grateful. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And I had a really, really big one coming up, and I was getting sick. I did cancel one gig when that was this very, very small one, and I rescheduled it. But this one was not reschedulable. This was the um, the International Montessori uh, Association Society, whatever. It was um, 6,000 Montessori teachers from all over the globe, and I'm a keynote. And I have – I show up in San Diego that year with – no voice, not like just a little whisper of a voice, but no voice, period, exclamation point. And I, um, I, my husband is an infectious diseases doc, and we thought the one thing that might work is if I didn't speak for days, I drank a lot of tea, I did a lot of gargling salt water, and I, and I took a larger dose of, and I do not recommend this, it was a disaster, a larger dose than I was supposed to take of a decongestant, which meant that I was wired as if I was on cocaine. So I get up on stage. I'm speaking to no one. Everything's in notes. I'm pulling that whole, you know, Celine Dion, you have to be completely silent in order to preserve your voice kind of thing. And I, um, they announced that I wasn't going to be able to speak because I have no voice, but she's managed to pull together a tiny bit of a voice and let's see how this goes. And I get up on stage. I'm sweating. My heart is racing. I have, things are coming out of my mouth faster than my brain can determine whether or not they should be coming out of my mouth. And at one point, I take off my jacket and I'm wearing a white shirt with a black bra and I'm on like 30 foot high screens. And so I look back at the screen and realize what's happening. And I also am probably sweating, so probably have armpit stains. And I walk back over to the podium. I'm like, up. I'm just going to put this jacket back on now. And people are laughing. And and I had explained to them what was happening. But I'm really, I I managed to get it done. I did have like a nearly two-hour book signing afterwards and couldn't, had nothing left. There was nothing left there. That was the one occasion where I'm really, really glad I powered through because that was, um, I didn't want to let this huge organization down. It was a lot of people. It was teachers I was so excited to speak in front of. But a, another version of me could definitely have seen myself saying, I'm in this really nice hotel and I'm just going to go to sleep for about three days. Um, you know, there's there are trade-offs to be made. And on that one, it just happened to to work out. However, the gig after that, in, I would think I was in Louisville, Kentucky, like two days after that, I had to speak not at all. And then even there, I had barely any voice at all, but I didn't cancel that one either. So it was... Well, the weird yeah. thing is, was that pre-COVID? Yeah, that was pre-COVID. So, yeah. I mean, that's also changed things, right? People wouldn't thank you for that. Now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was It was really... It was um, the right thing to do then. Like, yeah. I remember you powering through that, and we were all like, you can do it. Go, go. I mean, it's really <laughs> important for your career. And and I, I totally support it, but it's also just true that, um, you know, people would not thank you for that now. They would... They would be upset. And they certainly wouldn't have had me do the signing. 
I mean, the signing, like oh, a God, line, no. a line of people <laughs> for like, two hours. Like your, <laughs> like your book. Yeah, I'll, I'll lick the pen a little bit too. Maybe cough on it. Oh my God. That's yeah. Really funny. I mean, no, what's interesting is, is we're funny. talking about, well, KJ, your story about, you know, meeting that deadline for your local paper and this story about the speaking, we're talking about our reputation and our identity, we see ourselves as people who meet deadlines. And, mm -hmm. you know, I expect it's expressed shock just that you said you'd, you'd never missed a deadline. I probably haven't either. When I think when I think it through, I, that's part of my identity and my reputation is I'm a person who does the thing I rise to the occasion, I'm very well trained to do that. And what you did for that speech, you do what you have to do, the show must go on, that I, I believe in that. And yet, there, there's such downsides to that, yeah. right? Like, does it really matter? I mean, I think of some of the times when I pushed through when it just didn't matter. It wasn't big stakes like these two things you're, you guys are talking about. It was, you know, I had just agreed to do a thing and it would, it would be easy enough just to say, I'm not doing that thing, or I'm not, you know, it's, it's just life things that you're really not letting anyone down if you cancel and yeah. schedule. And, yeah. and that's still really hard to do when you're not feeling well. And yeah, I don't know if that's a, is that a woman thing? Is that an ambitious person thing? Like, I don't know what that thing is. But yeah, letting people down is is pretty much hitting me where it hurts the most. Yeah. And then there's that sort of internal question of, you know, maybe you could somehow pull through for the thing you actually want to do, but not for the thing you don't really yeah. want to do, which, and I sometimes, you know, I feel that way about, you know, my procrastinating on the book because I'm stuck, which in fact I am, or, you know, am I just truly incapable? And I guess sometimes I will, I mean, this is, you know, I'm not going to give my computer my cold. So I will just take the computer and, and sit for an hour and see if I can get anywhere. But, you know, if I'm just basically, <laughs> these past couple of days, I, I've really just barely gotten out of bed. And I, I just didn't even want to ask that of myself. And I think, I think, I think I'm old enough at this point and have been around this long enough to know that I will, in fact, push through this at some point. But uh, it just, I can't right this minute. And maybe What's... I could have today, but other things have, you know, and maybe I still will because one of the other things just got canceled. But... It's interesting because I think I'm more prone to those thoughts of, this is something that happens to me. I was going to say on a fairly regular basis, but it may, you know, every once in a while, what happens to me when I'm thinking about a project I'm working on is a sudden wave of, you can't do, this isn't going to work. You can't do this. And it makes my heart get that weird flutter and it makes my stomach fall a little. And my best self can say, no, no, <laughs> you've done this before, or yeah, this is a new thing, but you are capable of putting words on a page, whether or not it ever ends up getting published, you are capable of actually putting words on a page or doing this research or doing whatever this thing is. But when I'm feeling sick or when I'm feeling some doubt about my future, or, you know, we've, you know, some of us in this group have faced some like serious health challenges. And when you're concerned about whether or not you're going to be around, it's a lot easier to 
um, have those sort of crisis of confidence, I think, at the same time. So I think there's this horrible confluence of the doubts that we all tend to have every once in a while with being worn down physically, emotionally, whatever that thing is. And then those those little creep, they creep in on those tiny little cat feet and uh, and they sneak up on you and pounce and you're like, hold on, I can't do this when you're weak. Yeah. It's easier to doubt when you're sort of feeling low. So, KJ, you can totally do this. You're going to figure it out. The problem is going to be solved. You can get the pages down, the words down on the paper. You're just sick right now. That's all. Yeah, and mostly I do feel that way. And one of the, so I um I wrote this gut to you y'all in in our text group, but I I also know that what will happen next. Is I okay? I was fine with like I really just can't for the last couple of days. It was just true. I just couldn't. But what's going to happen next is that I'm going to come out of I just can't and look back and go, well, maybe you could have (laughs) past me. Yeah. Hey, past me. Why don't you give me something here? Because now I got nothing, and I got to do this this even heavier lift because you didn't do anything, and I'm mad at you past me, and. I could sort of see that coming. So I was trying to prepare myself for that. And I just happened to listen to an interview with uh, an old friend of mine who is also a writer. And I had a kid listening along with me. It was something it's just short and random. We just happened to hear it, but it was old. It was from like 2017. And um, this old friend says, yeah, I'm going to use these next couple of months to write a book. And my kid turns to me and says, did she? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> she didn't. Um but I, and I, I know that. I guess I've known that forever. Like, this this particular writer friend does a lot, but just does not happen to have written a book net and maybe won't. That's just maybe not what they're going to do. And I thought to myself, I think nothing of the fact that this friend thought they were going to write a book and didn't. I still think they're a total badass. <laughs> like, and... And an amazing writer, and I have such respect for them. And yet I'm going to beat up on myself for like three days. So hopefully that will help. Yeah. The, I mean, it's what's... hard when you're, when you're used to doing like all of us, just so many cylinders cranking. And like Jess, you were describing yourself at full tilt with all the projects and not just your work projects, but your house projects and your family projects and your, <laughs> you know, hobbies and all your things. And we're, we're used to that pace and, when you're under the weather, you're not feeling well, you can't do that. And I think that's what's so hard for me is I I have a hard time convincing myself that I'm in a different state. My, my brain or my body still wants to work at that speed. It's what I like. It's what I'm used to. It's what's comfortable to me. And it feels almost like an, an insult to have to stop. And yeah, it has I, to be really bad. Yeah, I feel which is probably bad. Yeah, I feel worse sort of sitting around than I do um, moving fast, which is which is its its own mental health challenge. But we're not talking about that part. We're talking about you know you just you don't feel well enough to operate at that. But but I feel resentful. Like if I have to be in bed or take a long bath or that sort of it's like I could be like you're saying I think that's what you're getting at KJ I could be if I just da 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 then next week will be better or the next or the you know the it's that forward pushing momentum which is a superpower but man it's hard to turn it off you know well I guess there's there's the whole like if I don't need to 
do all that stuff if I can just stay in bed for a couple days and what's the point? Okay, I have an idea. I just made a connection in my head. There are two things that I have I have been over my lifetime have fa- been just really fascinated by and just enamored with. One of them is when you live in uh, New England or when you when you live in a place where you can make maple syrup and you actually do it as either part of your business or as a tradition that your family does every year, you do the sugaring when the sugaring happens. Like you, it's not like you can't push it. The the you know the sap can go bad, or you'll miss the sap, or whatever. You have to do it when the trees, when the sap is running, and there's everything else gets dropped. I have friends, um, the Nichols, and I loved watching them every year. Just everything else had to go, and everyone in our community understood that everything else had to be let go because it's sugaring time, and that's what happens then, even through the night. So something about that has always captivated me. And the other thing that's always captivated me is. Is when my kids were really, really little and my job was, and I I, breast, I just happened to have breastfed my kids and my job was to do that. And you can't do anything else while you're breastfeeding kids. Maybe watch a television program or something. But there was something incredibly fulfilling about the fact that this is the only thing I have to do right now, whether it's sugaring, whether it's feeding a kid, like that is your only thing anyone is expected of you to do at that time. So if you can get that into your head with a which is something I actually have brought up before when I'm traveling. When I'm speaking and I'm on, especially on a multi-stop trip, my only job is to show up on stage on those nights. And maybe it's, you know, schmooze and stuff like that at the cocktail parties and things like that. But so I'm allowed to nap. I'm allowed to eat really healthily. I'm allowed to eat what my body says I need to eat. I'm, the napping in particular is the big thing. So if I can take that mentality of, this is my job right now to get better so that in a week I can be doing that other thing, then maybe we can take seriously that it is okay to let that stuff down because, or to let other people down, to put that stuff down, to not have to get the words on the page and not get the sticker because our job right now is just that we're sick. And in order to get better, we have to do that. Isn't that grown up of me? It's just hard (laughs) when it doesn't have that mandatory. Yeah, I know. I mean, and, and, Somebody, and I have forgotten who it was, used to say, if you can drop everything for a dentist appointment, you know, which you you do, you know, if you have to have a cavity filled, you don't try to multitask while you're filling. I mean, that would be very um, uh, Wall Street of you. But, you know, so therefore you could drop everything to do a yoga class, which... You know, I, I and that's certainly true, but it's also, it's just, it is, it's just hard. I tried to multitask while giving platelets once and I got yelled at because I moved my arms too much. So, you know. <laughs> I was listening to an old interview with Seth Godin when his book, The Practice, um, came out. And he had this, the practice is just the the act of showing up for the thing that you're dedicated to doing and to, he uses this idea of, he writes a blog every day. That's his thing. And, and that tomorrow he will write a blog. There was tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. And that, that is his choice. And that is his practice. And that's what he does. And the, well, what if he gets sick? <laughs> right. But that's what was interesting is he, that that's the piece I'm getting to is he says, it doesn't have to be good. And that's where he lets gives himself the grace where he's going to do it, but he's not going to hold himself to a high standard because some days are good and some days are not good. So maybe this day is not going to be good. 
and and I I I quite like that notion that that we all want to show up for ourselves and we want to keep doing the work and we we don't like stopping but maybe the thing to let go of is that it has to be good that if you don't feel well you can do a little bit or you can um do do bad or you can do nothing and it's not the world is not going to come to an end but you the practice doesn't stop i mean thinking about it planning it in your head, all that sort of stuff. That's part of the practice too. So yeah. But I also always tend to come back to KJ's directive, which is just open the document. And and sometimes when I just open the document, that one tiny little thing, maybe it's that I write a description down or maybe it's that I, you know, just add one or two lines. But that's that's Seth Godin. I, like I have it. had seasons of my life where I have felt that way. And it has been very important. And I just think that right now mm-hmm. for me, some days it is just better to go, eh. <laughs> I, you know, and I, and I get where Seth Godin is coming from, but some days it's just like I, some. I think I think a, a total step back and just a total acceptance of not doing it for me is is. The other thing would just become an over an, an unrelenting pressure that I would not like. Yeah. I actually don't advocate for writing every day. I know that doesn't align with the sticker mentality, but I I like to follow the energy. If you're committed to the project and devoted to it and and you know you're going to get it done, some days the energy is there and some days the energy is not there or or some days the energy comes in the morning and some days it comes at night and be following that that energy and that aligns better with today i have no energy today i'm not doing it and so i well i like the seth godin thing too it's not actually what i do in in my own practice i i have a lot of irons in the fire and i move them around a lot sometimes one is in the front and one is in the back and they're i'm doing a lot of shuffling of what is the most important thing and what energy do I have for for that work in that moment? And and not feeling well plays plays into that pattern better. That it does it does allow you you know you'll get back to it in two days or three days when you feel better. But I think the hardest thing about not feeling well is similar to something you said, Jess which is underestimating how long things take. I always underestimate how long I'm not going to feel well. I always think, <laughs> oh, I'm going to shake this yeah, off by the yeah. afternoon or I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be fine. And I'm always just amazed when I'm not. It's like, wow, this is <laughs> this is still happening. <laughs> I keep insisting uh, every single night. I, in fact, uh, night before last, I I just packed it in. I went to sleep at 5 30. 5.18 was actually when I got in the bed. And I got up in the middle of the night for something. I think I ate something. And then I woke up at 10.30 the next morning. And um, I was like, well, that's it. I've done it. I've I've nailed it. It's over now. And that was, that was two days ago. <laughs> I'm not quite over it. But I keep promising that I'm done. I keep telling myself I'm done. And, and it's just a little bit longer. So... Kids, I have to check out of this podcast. All right. I will get back to you later. But okay, um, good, good, good chat. <laughs> and I, I don't know that we've really resolved this for anyone. But um, you know, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. Do I don't do. think that's right. ever been our mission. Our mission has always been let's flatten the learning curve for people, not let's solve this for everyone on the planet. So bye, KJ. <laughs> All right, Jenny, to wrap up, um, since we're pretty much out of time anyway, um, if you would like to talk about anything you've enjoyed reading lately, we could do that. Or if you'd like to talk about sort of what you've been working on lately, we could talk about that. Well, I have been reading an incredible book, so I will talk about that. Uh, did Did you watch the documentary called Turn Every Page with Robert Gottlieb and Robert Farrow? So it came out, I missed it somehow, my own self, and it recently came to my attention, Turn Every Page. And Robert Robert Caro is the writer who wrote a very important book called The Power Broker. And then he has been working on a five volume series about Lyndon B. Johnson through his whole career. (laughs) And um, Robert Gottlieb was the he ran Knopf for many, many years. Mm-hmm. He was head of the New Yorker. He's like the the editor's editor. He edited, um, in addition to Robert Caro, Toni Morrison and uh, Le Carre. And I mean, just this laundry list of luminary writers. And But the documentary is about the relationship between Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. And it's told by Robert Gottlieb's daughter. It is absolutely riveting in, in so many ways. And after watching this documentary, I wanted to be the kind of person that would go read either the Power Broker or the LBJ books, but I am not that person. (laughs) But I was did go and find a, a book that Robert Gottlieb wrote about his career. It's called Avid Reader. And Uh I'm only about 30 pages into it, but it is absolutely stunning. It about the role of an editor, the role of a writer, the the old time publishing universe that we all bemoan is gone. It's totally gone, by the way. <laughs> but um, what an utterly charming book and fascinating read. I I just am so excited about this book. That's funny because you and I consumed really similar things this week. Um, anyone who follows me on Instagram has been seeing my disgusting nightstand, um, but it has included a couple of books. But one of them that I have been reading is by Ada Calhoun. It's called Also a Poet, and it's about Franco, the poet Frank O'Hara and then Ada Calhoun's father. It's The subtitle is Frank O'Hara, My Father and Me. And essentially, uh, Ada Calhoun's father died, and she found uh, all this stuff about Frank O'Hara. And I mean, it's gotten like, you know, New York Times 100 notable books of 2022 and all these different things. But I also know Ada and she, I love her work, St. Mark's Place is Dead and just Why We Can't Sleep and all that sort of stuff. But this book is fascinating because a little bit also like Priscilla Gilman's book about her dad, The Critic's Daughter. It's about the relationship between the people and the work. And that's been, that, that's always fascinating for me to read about. It's like, you know, what do you learn about the people that you love through the work that they do? And what do you learn about the relationship with you have with that, them and the, you know, and the things that you're both interested in? And what does that say about your relationship and stuff like that? So that's interesting that we both had a very similar text going on this week. But I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds really, really cool. Oh, I recommend I recommend the documentary to to any writer. It is, okay. it is absolutely 
it's just a beautiful story, really beautifully told. And well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything, but. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, I'm, I'm definitely, I, since I happen to have some non-productive time on my hands, I might just have to tune in and check it out. <laughs> I know, but Jess, you're so funny. Watching a documentary about the business you're in is, is not, not, it's not, not productive. <laughs> well, the, it's funny because, you know, one of the things I was going to say a little earlier is that for me, part of becoming, I think, a mature human being and a mature writer is understanding how much of the in my head and thinking is part of the work for me, you know, and this is, you know, separate from like people who say, oh, I've been thinking about this book for 20 years and blah, blah, blah. That's different. One of the things I really love is when I write a text to KJ and Serena and I say, you know, oh, I just took this 20 minute walk and I completely unraveled this problem I was having with um, a process problem I was having. Um, you know, that's really important time to me. And so, and as a person who, as a journalist, my favorite thing to, well, as a writer in general, my favorite thing to do is to consume lots and lots of stuff and find the through lines or find the connections or find how this applies to that, even though they have nothing to do with each other. And, you know, that's at the heart of everything I do and the heart of what I really love to consume. And so for me, that's just play. I love doing stuff like that. Well, it was funny because I watched the documentary with my husband. And so that was a different thing than doing it for for my own self and i had to bite my tongue and sit on my hands because i kept wanting to say can we stop can we stop i wanted to write <laughs> quotes down and i thought no i'm watching it with him this is what we're doing i can go back later and do that that part you know what's funny is uh there's a, a phenomenon in our house is that when anyone whenever anyone needs to get uh motivated to write we i've mentioned this a million times that we just we listen to um the audio of stephen king's on writing because there's something about hearing about the process that makes me go, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's do the process. You know that. So it's this self-fulfilling thing for me when I hear or consume books or media about other people. Even I remember when I saw, I was fortunate enough to get to see because of my lovely husband catching on that Hamilton was going to be a thing early, early on. Um, I got to see Hamilton with the original cast and I walked out and I was standing on the sidewalk waiting for everybody to get out. And I just wanted to go back to the hotel and write. There was this feeling of, oh my God, I just witnessed a whole bunch of genius on the stage and in writing particular, how on earth do I fulfill that mandate to put that stuff out into the world that is so amazing? And that that is what fills me up. I love that feeling of like just being completely invigorated to do the work because it's so amazing and so fulfilling. And there's so much potential for things that haven't been created yet. And you could be in a position to create them. I mean, it's just exciting to me. Well, I have to, to bring it back to the, to the feeling under the weather. I was thinking while we were talking earlier about being sick about that line from Hamilton, where it's why, why does he write like why, He's why running write, out of time. Is it, who is it? Yeah. The we or that? Yeah. Why do I write like I'm running out of time? No, I think Burr says, I think, yeah, I think Burr says about Hamilton that, you know, why does he write like he's running out of time? Why does he write yeah. like he's running out of time? And I think that's sometimes what, yeah. what we feel when we're not feeling well is yeah. I don't have time to, to be sick. I don't have time to stop and do this. I don't, I don't have time to not feel yeah. well. And it's funny you say that one of my, I listen to music before I go on stage. I have a song I listen to. And when I first started, when Gift of Failure first came out, it was about 
me, 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 and what I need to do up on the stage. And my song that I always listened to before I went on stage was My Shot. And at, now it's not that song anymore. Um, about two years, uh, about the time, uh, this is another musical connection, um, Dear Evan Hansen came out and uh, You Will Be Found. Um, it's because what I do now is not about me. I have had a real evolution. It's not about making the most of this opportunity to have a career as a writer and speaker. I I feel like I've, I'm pretty comfortable that that exists for me. So now it has to be about something more than me. And so now it's about the kids and making sure that um, every kid feels that knows that there is someone who will find them, see them, hear them, understand them. And so now the You Will Be Found is a song. If you see me at a speaking event and I'm sitting down in the front row waiting to go on or backstage waiting to go on and I have earbuds in, I'm listening to You Will Be Found. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. I hope you feel better <laughs> and I hope KJ gets gets over her cold and... And Serena's not here, by the way, because Serena is needing to get the words done. Serena bowed out today for a really good reason, which was she's a little bit behind and she really wants to get the words done. And you got to respect that. So uh, so we forged on ahead without her. So thank you for being here today, Jenny. And thank you for uh, propping us uh, sick people up. Um, but until next week, everyone, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perilla. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.